Good morning, everybody. We don't hit you with that in announcement straight up. We know you all would be paralyzed and scared and wonder where you are this morning. But good morning. Good morning. We are glad that you're here. If we haven't said enough this morning, let me say it again. Welcome to Hope Des Moines. And we want to tell you this morning, we hope you don't just hear us say it, but you feel it as well, that we believe it's no accident that you're here, that we believe that God has something powerful not just through the words of the preacher, but through the band. Let's give the band a round of applause, sharing their gifts. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but we are really spoiled at this church with uh, not just even the band, but just with the small group leaders that we have and the people who get up early and set up things and serve coffee and the people who have been doing the landscaping. Have you noticed how much more beautiful our property is? So thank you very much. Those of you that are, are serving, uh, we, I just want to take a moment. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you do. Uh, we know that we pay you millions of dollars, and that's why you do everything you do around this church. Uh, but people are often surprised when they come to Hope Des Moines for the first time, and they're like, well, where are all the staff members? Like, there must be like 20 people that run this place. There's so much going on. And we get to say, no, it's, it's not the staff. It's all of us, right? It's not just John's church or Andy's church or... Tiffany or Brianne or whoever else's church, right? It's your church. And so I want to start this morning by saying thank you to you for being the church because you do that so well. And we are excited to be here to worship. Today's a great day to worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. Even though I was up at 3 o'clock this morning with that silly storm. Anybody else? I don't know. Maybe that was just me. But here we go. Questions start out this morning for us. I want to I knock your thinking loose, and I want you to ask a question that maybe... You know what, depending upon where you're at in your spiritual journey and depending upon the circumstances that got you here this morning, you may think about this question. You may never think about it at all, but here's the question I want you to ponder just for a second. Why are you here this morning? Why are you here? I mean, when you think about it, to come to church, to, to gather with other Christians for worship, it requires something of us, doesn't it? Right? We have to get up on a Sunday morning get in our car, we probably should get dressed first and brush your teeth and eat breakfast and do all those things, right? But you don't have to because we've got breakfast up here. Uh, but you get in your car, you drive and you come and maybe you see a bunch of people you know, maybe you see a bunch of people you don't know, maybe it even feels a little awkward. What, whatever it is that you walked in here this morning, why did you do it? Why did you do it? Now, for some of us, maybe it's the donut holes, right? I mean, I know that's what got me here to begin with. That was supposed to be a joke. Nobody laughed at that, Okay. Right? Maybe it's not a whole, but it's deeper than that, right? I mean, just if you look around this church, you begin to see people give their lives and their time, their energy and their passion to this stuff, and you can't help but be around a group of people like this, and eventually you've got to ask the question, like, why are they doing it? And as human beings, I, I think this begs the question, if you take it even deeper, why do we do anything that we do? Why do we choose? And sometimes in my household, right? Little people running around. I, I ask that question a lot. Why do these kids do what they do, right? But I think there's an answer. We do it because we want to, right? We do it because maybe if you want to take it deeper, because we need to, because something inside us compels us to do the things that we do. The truth is, I think, if we look at the reason why we do the things that we do, it's because we're trying to answer this question, where do I find life? Right? When we do things, it's not just because we had some random idea. We do it because it's, there's something inside of us that's driving us. There's something that we're searching for. There's something that we're trying to find. And I think the truth is that we spend our time, 
We spend our money, we spend our resources, we give our energy to the things that we believe will bring us life. We believe that if we invest, if we show up, if we go, something's going to happen. I'm guessing that's why you're here this morning. Unless, of course, you got drug here, and if that's you this morning, I've been there and I feel for you. Thank you for coming and sticking it out. But I know there are many of us that are gathered here this morning because we believe that there's life to be found in worshiping Jesus and spending time with him. You could say, if you look at this, the reason why we do the things we do, you could say there's an insatiable hunger inside of each of us. And here's the deal. This hunger that we all have, whatever it is that we're searching for for ourselves, only God can give it to us. Amen? Only God can give it to us. We go look everywhere else first. And if we had time here today to tell all of our stories and where we've been and the mistakes we've made, we would figure that out very quickly. But when we take time to think about it, why are we here? Why do we do the things we do? We're hungering for things all the time, aren't we? And sometimes it's the silly things that we hunger for, the, the tangible things, right? I couldn't get away with this without putting a single with cheese and no onions from Bebop's because I know this morning you're all going to hunger for those at some point, right? God's gift to Des Moines, Bebop's, it's a good burger, right? But other times we hunger for things that are so much deeper, valued. We want to we know that we're loved. We want to be satisfied, we have these hungers that only God can fill, that only God can meet. And we see it all over the place. I see it in myself. I don't know how well you all have gotten to know me. Uh, I've been a pastor here for a couple years now. Uh, it feels like it's just flown by. And maybe you've learned this about me, maybe you haven't. I ask myself questions all the time. I am constantly asking questions of myself, right? Do I have what it takes? I mean, why, why did these people want me to come work here? There's no way that I can meet the needs that they have, right? Can I do this? These are the questions. This reveals the hunger in me. I have a hunger for validation. I have a hunger for people to tell me that I'm doing a good job, that it's okay, that I'm up for the task, right? I see this hunger in other people too. I, just this week, uh, we have this, this thing around my household, this, this hunger for actual food around my house. My two-year-old, right, she can't say her R's very well, so she walks around all day, I'm not kidding, 20 times a day saying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, right? And it's really cute because she's just this little girl. It was cute the first hundred times, but we kept finding her in the refrigerator, yanking whole gallons of milk out or bananas or whatever she could get her hands on saying, I'm hungry. She's got this hunger, right? But it goes deeper than that. I see my four-year-old, I went to his field day this week at the elementary school behind our house, do you know that my four-year-old son was almost last place in every single event that he participated in? Because, why? Because he was looking for me the entire time. Right? They're like, Callan, Callan, you got to go run around the race. You got to jump through the hoop, whatever it is. And he's, he just turned around looking the other way. Dad, I'm over here. Dad, are you watching me? Right? But that tells you what he's hungering for. It's not to win right now. Right? It's to be seen. And I saw this hunger that we all have this week, even as I walked through the hospital. Go visit a few friends, people in our congregation that were, have various things going on, and whether it was the waiting room, whether it was in the hallway, right? Whether it was in the rooms, the patients themselves. Man, when people are in the hospital, I mean, unless they work there, 
I mean, they are hungering for healing and for restoration. And so if we all have this hunger, then it's no wonder that when we look at our Bible reading for today, when we dive into Mark chapter 6, and we meet these crowds, we see them hungering, deeply hungering. They're clamoring to get near Jesus. Have you noticed this? I mean, we're only six chapters into Mark. We're, we're getting pretty close to being halfway through, right? And one of the main characters, the character that surprised me this, this time more than anything else has been the crowd. What they're willing to do to be near Jesus. I mean, have you noticed these people? They are crazy. They're crazy. And if you got your Bibles this morning, this is where I want to start. I want you to open up to Mark chapter 6, and I would highly encourage you, even more than normal, because I'm going to bounce around the chapter today, and I think it's really good to have the visual, because you begin to get a sense of the hunger that people are having and the way that Jesus begins to meet their needs. I'm going to start today, Mark chapter 6, in verse 30, and if you got your Bibles, you can certainly follow along. You can pull out your phones, too. We're totally okay with that. Verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. Jesus had just sent them out to go on a little mission trip uh, by themselves to see what they could accomplish. And they, they are ready to tell him the story. Jesus said, let us go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Right? They're looking for a break. He said this because there were so many people, here come the crowds, coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Right? They're busy. Sometimes I find myself in that. I'm eating at my desk and thinking, I should get away from here. But we get busy. Verse 32, so they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns. Can you just picture this? Jesus is trying to get away in a boat, right? And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore to get there ahead of him. And I got to ask this question. Do you think Jesus just shook his head? Who are these people, and why are they here? I think he knows Right? But if we learn nothing else, even looking at these very few verses, we begin to understand this crowd, this, these people that have actually seen Jesus in the flesh, they've seen him do these miracles, they're desperate for his presence. And we've got to ask ourselves, why is that? And I think it's because they're hungry, hungry for a revolution, which is what we've been talking about these past six weeks. We've got this latest sermon series, Join the Revolution. And we think that following Jesus, incorporating him into life, daring to believe what Jesus says about us is true is a revolutionary thing. But it's not just a revolution we watch from a distance. It's something that we get invited into. We get invited to join the revolution. And so these last six weeks, we've been looking at this and understanding what does it mean to live for Jesus in every aspect of our lives? What does it mean and what's the reality that Jesus came to unfold before us? And they're following around because he's providing exactly what they're hungering for, right? They're hungering for life, for new life. So I told you a little bit this morning about the places where I've seen hunger. I'm guessing as I've even talked just this little bit, you've thought of your own places. People are hungry for God everywhere, right? We see needs all around us every day where we wish that God could do something, change something, rethink things. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, where is the hunger that you see as well? And we do this every once in a while, this thing called community time, and about half the congregation does what you just did. You roll your eyes, right? But we do this thing as a church because we believe when we come together on Sunday mornings, 
It's not just about what's going on stage. It's what God's doing in and amongst the people. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you just a couple minutes. You can stand up. You can find somebody that you don't know. Or you can find the person you came with. You can talk to anybody you want. But I'm going to put some questions up here on the screen. And we, I just want to give you two minutes to talk about these things. It's really helpful if we're trying to be a church who loves people well and to be a body of Christ, right? You probably could share your name. It's cool to share something a little bit about yourself. How long have you been a part of this crazy circus known as Hope Des Moines? Uh, and then this question, right? Share a place where you see a hunger that only God can satisfy. So I'm just going to give you a couple minutes on your marks. Get set. I know this is hard for Lutherans especially. Go. All right. All right. Wrap it up. I told you I was only going to give you a couple minutes. I know you'll take a couple more. Right? But here's the thing. Every time we do this, and I always say this after we do community time, right? These questions are so easy for us to answer because they're universal. Wherever we look, right? I'm guessing most of us in this room, probably all of us in this room, didn't have to think too hard about a hunger, about a need, about a situation in our life where we just think, God, I wish you would do something about that. Right? I wish somehow that we could feed that hunger, that we could meet those needs. This hunger is everywhere, right? And the saving grace for us, I mean, there is, there is gospel, there is good news written all over Mark chapter 6, but, but the saving grace for us, I think, is in the very next verse, verse 34. I am so glad that when Jesus sees this hungry crowd, he doesn't just walk away, Right? I don't, I don't know if you take time to look at the words that are selected sometimes by these gospel readers and, and the translators that put it into our language, but some of this language is, is absolutely profound, and there's much deeper significance going on here in the text than maybe we realize. Verse 34, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And again, if it were me, maybe he'd be rolling his eyes, right? But this is what it says. It says he had compassion on them. Compassion. Why? It gives us the answer because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so what did he do? He began teaching them many things. Sheep without a shepherd, if you go back into the Old Testament and you begin to understand this, not just the, the Jesus-centered understanding of this, but you go back into the nation of Israel to their story, sheep without a shepherd is often a, a, a term that was used to describe Israel in the, in the seasons of life when they had no leadership, when they had no king when they had to rely on themselves to kind of figure it out, and eventually, when they got tired of depending on themselves, they would move back to God. It was this, this cycle of repentance that they were in. Jesus looks at these people. He sees that they're suffering, right? That they're willing to go do whatever it takes to be with him, that they're not satisfied with life the way that it is, and they're hungering for leadership because they sure aren't getting it from Herod, right? He's busy doing other things. They aren't getting it from the religious leaders who have abandoned them and condemned them, right? They're hungering for someone who can change the game. And it turns out that Jesus is that guy. Jesus looks at them and has compassion on them because they're sheep. They're like sheep without a shepherd. When you think about it and when you look at the broader context of what Jesus has been up to lately, I think this is an amazing response. 
partly because if you look at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus has just gotten rejected. This, this revolution has taken a little bit of a downturn. I mean, he's kind of been sailing and, and experiencing all this momentum through the first five chapters. Chapter six, he gets some pushback in his hometown of all places, right? He can't do miracles there because they don't believe in him. They say, we knew this guy when he was in diapers, right? He's not the Messiah. And so they have to move along. A little bit later, he gets this terrible news that his cousin John the Baptist has been beheaded, right? The guy who baptized him has been taken out. Not to mention the fact that they have been inundated with people for days, pouring out and pouring out and giving and pouring out some more. But Jesus looks at these people the same way that he looks at us. And he remembers why he came. And so he begins to teach them. He begins to give them the good news. He says, you know what? You're not alone. This is my translation. But he says God is on the move, right? There's something coming. There's, in fact, there's something that's here that you need to pay attention to. And this is nothing new for God to have compassion for us when we're lost. Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, Genesis chapter 3, right? Adam and Eve have sinned. The very next verse turns around and God comes looking for Adam and Eve and he says, where are you? He's pursuing them. In Exodus, God's people are crying out for help, right? God hears them and he sends them this handsome bearded guy named Moses to rescue them. 1 Timothy 2.4 tells us a lot about this streak that God is on. In there, Paul says that God wants everyone to be saved. It's just who God is. It's who God is, but, and God has this huge heart, and he's all about giving. But the disciples, on the other hand, <laughs> the disciples, they're in a completely different frame of mind. They've had enough. Verse 35, late in the afternoon, the disciples came to him, and they said, you know what, Jesus? This is a remote place, right? There's no McDonald's around here. There's no Bebop's. Right? We came, remember, we're out here in the middle beyond cell phone coverage because we were trying to get away from people and they came here anyway. Like, you got to send these crowds home, they say. Send the crowds away so they can go and they can find something to eat. Right? That's a polite way. Oh, yeah, they need to go find food, right? What they're really saying is tell these people to get lost. We want time with you back, right? We've got stories to tell you about the demons that we just cast out right? We're tired. We need a break too. What about us? Jesus is what they're saying. They just want people to go away. Have you ever had that experience in your life? You just want people to go away. It's a feeling I found myself experiencing every once in a while in life, but probably no more intense of a time than when I was a a summer Bible camp counselor. Right? And you got to understand, as being a Bible camp counselor, I worked at a camp just up the road near my hometown, Story City, Iowa, called Riverside Lutheran Bible Camp. And the thing you got to understand, for 10 weeks, we had these kids come, right? And we made millions of dollars doing this. No, I calculated up, I think I made $1.50 an hour to spend time with people's kids telling them about Jesus, okay? I got paid well, just not financially, is what I tell people, right? So we had these 10 weeks with kids, and, and the highlight of the week for the summer staff every time was every year was the, when the high school kids came, right? Because the whole rest of the summer, you're spending your time planting seeds, basically talking to kids that would rather look at squirrels and go throw rocks at windows than sit and do a Bible study, right? That's not why I decided to become a Bible camp counselor. I decided 
I wanted to have these conversations with people. I wanted to tell people the good news. I wanted them to do exactly what I wanted them to do, to sit still, right, to see these lives changed. And as we're going along, I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to this, and finally high school week comes, and I am so excited. I am ready for this breakthrough. I'm ready for things to be awesome. What I wanted was to go deep, to have these great stories and conversations with people. What I got were a whole cabin of ninth grade boys. First off, you know when you're in ninth grade, no offense to any ninth graders here, right? You're too cool for school. Like the last thing you're going to do is actually participate, especially in a Bible camp song that has actions, right? I've seen some of you at VBS. You wouldn't be caught dead doing the song leading, right? You just conveniently have to go to the restroom, right? That's how these guys were. And not only that, they were obsessed with all the girls, right? It was this girl and that girl and wait, where's so-and-so? Oh, guess what? He's over there chasing the girls at the pool, right? This is not what I was looking for. I spent the better part of the week watching all these other counselors with the upperclassmen, right, having these great conversations and praying and Bible study and and all of these meaningful, deep spiritual things, the reason that I got into it. And all I could think of was, I didn't sign up for this. (laughs) I did not want this. I never said it out loud, but man, did I think it a lot. This prayer, God, send these kids away. They would stay up all night. And I couldn't get them out of bed in the morning, right? It's like, it's like they didn't want to do what I wanted them to do. And I'm embarrassed to even tell that story to you now, right? But that's where I was. And we've all been there, a point where people are in our life and we just say, you know what, I just need a little break. And yet there was something in me as I'm with these kids, as I'm kind of going through this week, I continue to feel this nudge though, something that just says, don't give up. Like, spend time with these kids. You can't really ditch them anyway. Their parents kind of drove away, so you can't, you can't send them back anyway. So you might as well hang out with them. The more I prayed about it, I got the sense that I just needed to be patient. I was not too thrilled. And I wasn't sure how I was going to make it. And I'm guessing that's exactly the same way the disciples feel in this situation when they say, can you send the crowds away? They go to, the Jesus, they go to Jesus and they say, can you send these crowds away? And what does Jesus do? Does he give them what they want? No. But he gives them what they need. He gives them an opportunity to grow. He turns around to them, verse 37, and he says, you feed them, right? I'm not going to take care of this one. You've seen me do all this stuff before. Now it's your turn. You feed them. And I got to think in this moment, either the disciples rolled their eyes or they got really nervous right? They had to have wondered, what is Jesus up to? What's he doing? He's doing exactly what he came to do, though. He's come to find these disciples, these people who are hungry for more, not just in their life, but in their spiritual life, and he's inviting them deeper into the the resolution, revolution, right? He's building on what took place earlier in the chapter, the beginning of chapter 6, verse 7. He just sent them out to cast out demons, and he gives them authority to do this, He's authorized them to represent him in his kingdom. And so now he's given them an opportunity to exercise their authority. He says, you feed these people. And not just feed them tangibly, right? 
But the challenge is the same for you and I. The invitation is the same for you and I. When Jesus says, go feed people, it's not just physically, right? There's more to it than that. The hunger that we see is wider than that, right? What if feeding someone means to share God's love and God's grace, God's hope and God's mercy with the people who need it? And so he gives them this challenge, and it ends up being something they're going to do the rest of their lives. And in doing so, Jesus reveals this fundamental aspect of this revolution that he's come to bring, that sooner or later, sooner or later, you're going to get called into the game. You see, we get this idea in our head sometimes that living in the kingdom of God, experiencing life as a child of God is just a spectator sport, right? And we think, I'll just hang back, I'll just take it easy, when in reality, God's saying, hey, you're in the bullpen, come on in, right? In fact, this is your gospel identity. Do you know what John 20, 21 says? Right? Jesus is speaking to his disciples then. He's speaking to his disciples now. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This is who we've been created to be. Jesus says we're a light. We're the light of the world. This is who he's made us to be. A city on a hill can't be hidden. This is our role. This is what it means. It means that when Jesus says you feed them, he's serious. He's sending us to feed the world. And it all sounds great, but it becomes quickly clear that these disciples are in over their head, right? And most of us probably heard this idea before. As disciples, right, as people who love Jesus, we're called to love other people. We get that. But the challenge that comes for us is exactly what the disciples are struggling with next. Jesus asks, asks them to go feed people. Immediately they say, well, with what? Right? It's a great question, God, I see this person, I see this group of 5,000 men plus their families, right? It's way more than 5,000 people. I know you want us to feed them, but what are we going to do? Like, with what? And I think at this point, if I were Jesus, I think I would have just lost it, right? I mean, think about this again. If you look at this whole chapter, look what's going on. This is remarkable that they're saying this. They've just come back and are pumped to tell Jesus how they just cast out demons, right? The chapter before, they raised a little girl from the dead, right? They're watching all of this stuff, and yet they can't believe that God wants to use them and the gifts that they have, the abilities that, they, that God has already given them to feed some people, right? Really? I mean, they have seen so many things, and yet they struggle to believe in that God believes in them. And I think what this does is shows us this complex nature of faith, right? Some of us are brand new Christians. Some of us have been Christians for 20, 30, 40 years. And what this reminds me is we can see miracles one day, right? We can surrender a whole part of our life one day. And tomorrow, we start all over again in a whole new chapter. I don't know where this idea that Christianity is just this thing you kind of, it's uncomfortable for a while and eventually it kind of stabilizes and you just get to cruise. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. And so when Jesus comes to us and he says, you feed them, and we ask this question, it just doesn't make any sense. In fact, I think it's sad. I think it's this tragedy because it breaks my heart, not just because the disciples then, but because I see it in us, in these disciples all around us today. The, the disciples are stuck and eventually Jesus bails them out, right? And so many times we need this bailing out as well. Jesus asked them, well, how much bread do you have? Let me just spell this out for you, right? Maybe this is sarcastic Jesus is starting to come out now. I don't know. 
right? He actually has to tell them, go and find out, all right? Another way of saying this is he's saying to them, but I think he's saying to us too, what do you have to feed the world with, right? You see this hunger all around you. What do you have to do something about it? And, and oftentimes we think, well, I, I'm not really, I mean, I'm no pastor. I'm not gifted. I, there's not much that, that I could do, right? But Romans 12, 6 would tell you otherwise. Let's read this verse together on the screen. In his grace... God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Do you know that you're gifted? And I'm not just talking about the spiritual gifts, right? The list that we see, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, right? But do you know what you do well? Do you know what you're good at? Do you know the very tools and the things that God has given you to feed the world? When it comes to feeding this world, satisfying this hunger that God wants to satisfy in the world around us, right? Do you know what you have to offer the kingdom? I think a lot of times we find ourselves in these situations and maybe we feel this nudge from the Holy Spirit to respond and to do something. But we find ourselves asking this question the disciples are asking, but with what, right? You're gifted. And not just as individuals, but as a whole body, God has knit us together as well. Ephesians 4 talks about this, right? It says he makes the whole body, that's all of us, right? We say this all the time around here, we're better together. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. Here's what I want you to know this morning. We need you to be you. We need you to bring your gifts to the table, and you might be asking yourself this morning, I mean, honestly, what do I have that I can offer, right? I don't know my gifts. If you don't know what your gifts are, ask somebody who knows you really well what you're good at, right? But we all have gifts. We all have tools, right? Right? You've got your head. We've got our hearts. We've got our hands, right? We've also got our tears, but I think one of the most important gifts that God has given you, and you may not be at a point where you're ready to understand this yet, one of the most powerful tools that you have to feed the world around you is your story. The story of the things that God has done. I mean, Jesus authorizes his disciples to cast out demons. He gives that same authority to us. That's what the Holy, I mean, it's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the grave that lives in us. If we have the ability to do that, then certainly we can start with this. God gives us gifts all the time, right? And if we're not careful, we take these things for granted. And that's what breaks my heart the most is we've been given these incredible tools, these opportunities to experience the joy of watching God do stuff, change lives, and yet sometimes we just take it for granted. And I saw it this week in my house. I don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced this if you're a parent, but as the, this was a frustrating week for me in some ways with my kids because I don't know if you know this, but in the springtime, right, we do daylight savings and it gets lighter later. It gets darker later, right? And so what I find is sunlight has a direct correlation with the children that live in my household they must be solar powered. I think those nuclear reactors that are inside of them, 
They're solar powered, right? So they just keep going and going and going and going, and it's like way past their bedtime. And I am beyond exhausted. I'm saying, God, will you send these kids to bed, right? And I don't always do this. Sometimes I'm really good and I'm firm with the rules, but every once in a while, especially in springtime when we're trying to adapt, I find myself in the art of negotiation with little people. And as I'm doing this, I'm saying, you know what? You should go to bed. It's a really good idea. And finally, I get to this point. These words come out of my mouth. I say, you have no idea how lucky you are that you get to go to bed. I am giving you the gift of eight hours. You know what? I don't care. Sleep 12. Sleep in. I guess I'll be okay with that, right? I am giving you this gift to sleep in and to rest, which is what I want. Maybe that's what all of us want is just, we would give anything for eight hours of consecutive peaceful sleep. And yet they took it for granted. I'll just spoil the ending for you, right? They didn't, they didn't think that was a good idea. <laughs> but I wonder if we don't do the same thing, right? We're given these gifts. God comes to us and we say, oh, no, that's, that's I don't need to worry about that. And when we do that, we take these gifts, these gifts for granted. We begin to doubt what God has called us to, the fact that he's given us everything we need to do to do his work. Luke 10, preached on this one a while ago. It says, the harvest is great, right? You could translate that another way and say, the hunger is massive, right? But what does Jesus say? The workers are few. And I wonder if the workers aren't few because we don't take our gifts and the opportunities and the, the things that God wants to do seriously. I wonder if we don't know or aren't comfortable with the ways that God has given us to feed and satisfy the world's hunger. But the truth is, if we step out, if we do this, we're going to find this new source of life, right? That's what this revolution is all about. It's time to get in the game. We're going to find this new level of adventure, this trust, this peace. And the truth is that we have everything we need for the journey if we have it in Him. So back to the story that I was telling you about with these freshman boys. What I began to realize as I went through that week is they weren't the problem, right? It was me. I thought that I had it all figured out. I thought I knew exactly what we should do. And it turns out that I was way off. And in fact, that whole week, God was in the process of taking these meager gifts that I had to offer and he was using them and reshaping them, much as he does in verse 41. They bring the bread, they bring the fish to Jesus, and what does he do? Notice the verbs in this verse. He says, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven, and he blessed them, right? It says later that he broke them, and he gave it away. And when I look back at that week, I can tell that's exactly what God was doing in me was breaking me so that he could use me. So that I would remember this idea that if we're going to be a part of God's mission, if we're going to live as disciples, that we can't live the life that God calls us to live on our own. We need community and we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. I mean, if Paul in Romans 7 has to say, I don't even do the things I want to do, certainly we need help. And so these offerings come together, these loaves and these fishes, and there's a feast. And I will tell you, that night with those kids, as I actually sat them down to talk during this prayer service we do on Wednesday nights, I had them one-on-one. -on -one, and maybe it was because it was late at night. Maybe it's because there was no girls around. I don't know. 
And I just said, how's it going? Like, be honest with me for a second. Drop the act and just be honest with me. And I found out that in this group of a dozen freshman boys that I was responsible for that week, we had parents who were getting divorced, uncles who had died, depression that was undiagnosed, right? I had a kid in my cabin who didn't want to go home because he'd been beaten the last week. And in that moment, God showed me exactly why I was there. And it became very obvious to me that God had given me exactly what I needed, even though I didn't know what it was at the time, to continue to feed this hunger for the world around me. But the truth is, and the reality is, we can't do it on our own. And Paul knew this, 2 Corinthians, he talks about how Jesus said to him, right, that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. We don't have to have it all together. But we do have to show up, and we do have to put ourselves in the game. And so maybe we're asking ourselves this morning, I mean, I kind of know my gifts. I've got some, some ideas of what I'm good at, but honestly, like, what does it look like for me, right? Jesus fed 5,000 people. It was more than that. Do you think it's possible for you in your life to feed 5,000 people in your lifetime, spiritually speaking? What about as a church? How many people can we impact in the city of Des Moines? And what does it look like? Well, I came across a video clip this week of a doctor, of all things. Talk about a hunger, right? He's fed up with our healthcare system and is ready to do something about it. And as you watch this video of Dr. Robert, think about what does it look like in your life to use the very bread and fish that God has given you? So when you think about the hunger that you see around you, when you think about the gifts God has given you to satisfy that hunger, what do you think of? What does it look like for you to be the church wherever you are? Because God wants to throw a party. He wants to throw a feast. He wants to feed a whole bunch of people. And I got news for you. He wants to use us to do it. I'm not sure why sometimes, but I know that he does. Verse 42, it comes through and it says, they ate as much as they wanted. And it goes on to say they had over 12 extra baskets. If we step out in faith, God will meet us where we're at. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul found as he showed up in the town of Corinth and wrote a letter to the church. This, this is Paul who wrote this huge chunk of the New Testament. I mean, this guy that everybody respects. And you just think, well, how did he feed people? I mean, he must have been amazing. He must have been highly skilled. He must have had all these gifts. And this is this is what he says when he showed up to the church in Corinth. He said, when I came to you, I didn't come with wise or persuasive words, right? He didn't impress. He said, I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, meaning it was God all along who took the bread, who blessed it, who gave thanks, who broke what Paul had to offer, and he gave it away. Will you stand and pray with me, please? God, we give you thanks today for, Lord, for the gifts of your word, for the gifts of your presence, the power of your spirit, God, the fact that you brought us here, Lord, because we have this hunger inside of us. God, this hunger for you, for more, for life. And God, I pray for your disciples in this room today. God, I pray that we as a church would be comfortable with the ways that you've gifted us. God, that you'd open our eyes to the world around us in the ways that we can your hands and feet. 
God, I pray at the end of the day, just as Robert, we would be these ordinary yet supernatural presences, people in the midst of it all, God, who continue to bring life to the world around us that's dying. God, I pray you would help us to feed thousands of people even this week. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. If you need prayer today, prayer on what your gifts are, prayer about something that's going on, this hunger for you, come on up. If you need to get connected, you can go see Chuck in the back. If you've got questions, he would love to try and answer them. Have a great week. Go be the church.